0: Hey fellow fraud fighters! a big welcome to the Sayon Cat and Mouse Show where we'll look to get into the mindset, thinking and learnings of the hardest working group of heroes we know, the fraud-fighting professional and on alternative shows we'll dive into the opposite world of current or ex-fraudsters to get a real insight into what's driving them to do what they do and ultimately we'll be trying to best work out who's the real cat and mouse here it's, uh, it's always great to speak to you, obviously, uh, from from this side. I want to kind of start off with, for the audience, is maybe uh, what you Americans call the baseball card uh, intro. Uh, maybe a couple of sentences about you, you know, your deep experience within kind of fraud and risk. Because you've been, you've been really interesting. You've been on the merchant side uh, on vendor side. And so you've kind of seen both parts, but maybe you can share just a couple of sentences for everyone.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. So I've worked, uh, in acquiring, I've worked in, uh, payment service providers. Um, I've worked at a couple merchants and, um, I've worked in some, some high risk merchants, which makes it even more exciting, especially when yeah. it comes off the fraud side. Um, but I've had a lot of marketplace, I guess you could call it experience cause I spent uh, a good deal of time at PayPal. And then currently at Patreon, um, we have creators and patrons, and there's a lot of user-generated content, so it makes it a very mm. exciting uh, place to be right now.
0: But for the audience uh, that aren't too familiar, and is it mainly in North America still, would you say, like Patreon, or is it fairly global in its kind of uh, a, you know, reach?
1: It's fairly global in the reach. Um, so obviously, you know, we, we have a large presence in the US, but we have offices even, and quite a few merchants um, in Europe and mm. um, APAC, and you know, some in uh, Northern Africa. So yeah, we're, we're striving for global.
0: You know, I think Patreon's really interesting. Uh, we were talking about before because the type of risk and fraud you're seeing, Jacqueline, is a wee bit different for a lot of people. Um, you know, we talk about content moderation. Um, you know, one of the pieces uh, I think if anyone Google's Patreon, uh, New York Times brings up quite quickly. It's it's involved in quite. Controversial topics. Do, do you want to kind of expand a bit upon that uh, as well? Oh,
1: for sure. For sure. Um, yeah. So please feel free to Google uh, me, <laughs> slash Patreon. And there's plenty of it that you can come up with. Um, but yeah, it makes it a very interesting place to be because it is user generated content. Hmm. And, you know, creators are by nature very creative. And sometimes, you know, there's a line and sometimes people go over that line. And um, I think what is super interesting for us is we try to be very thoughtful about our policies. And our community guidelines and we try to be very specific and clear but sometimes um, you know people step over the line and so you know sometimes uh, it gets into like we don't do pornography we don't do harmful Mm. speech you can't dox someone um, and sometimes we'll see accounts that are just dedicated to doxing a person um, or you know accounts where Sometimes it's accidental, sometimes it's on purpose. And so there's a, a pretty fine line. We're always trying to consider the context and you know, try to get a full picture of what's happening before we make decisions. And so I have an extremely thoughtful team um, that makes these very in the weeds decisions and, and tries to consider the whole of the creator. So not just what they do on Patreon, but what they do um, in the whole ecosystem.
0: Can you talk about a bit more about you know, what goes on in the decisioning with one of your risk team members when they're trying to take this uh, you know, into account? Because it is, is it really case-by-case case, uh, kind of specific in that, in that sense?
1: You know, I I hope that we're human. That's our entire goal is to be very human because I know that um, not to besmirch anyone else, but you know some other platforms have made the decision to do automation or to outsource things. But at Patreon, we've done the exact opposite of that, where we have very large teams that work on content moderation. And mm-hmm. so it is case-by-case basis. We've made the commitment um, some time ago, You know, the whole time I've been at Patreon, and that commitment is that there will never be an automated takedown or a uh, suspension of your account. There's always a human that reviews it before any action is taken and a creator's earnings would be affected. And so it is my team that, that looks case-by-case and really tries to do the most thoughtful review that they possibly can to say, like, is this, you know, this is outside of guidelines, but how far outside of guidelines? And can we reform this? Can we bring this back to being in alignment with um, our terms of service, essentially?
0: For me, the kind of what strikes a chord is what you're doing, you know, especially with your past is kind of merging the two areas, right? Content moderation. And uh, if you like traditional kind of fraud risk, et cetera in the business, are they just kind of intimately entwined, those two concepts, so you can't really split them out? Has that been a hard thing to educate the rest of the Patreon team on as, as a process? Like, How, how does that work?
1: That's, that is a, an interesting point you bring up. Um, so I like to think of it as yin and yang. So when you think of risk, I feel like um, on the fraud team, they should never be dealing with real people. But hopefully they're always dealing with fraudsters and they're you know snipers and they're just taking out those fraudsters. Like I like to say that Patreon is a party and you know it's a fabulous party and so there's snipers that are taking out like anybody who's gonna you know cause some trouble. And then there's the content moderation team and they're more like the bouncers. they're very visible. They should deal with all real people. They should never deal with fraudsters. And they're the ones saying, hey, buddy, you've had a little too much to drink. Let's let's leave the party before you embarrass yourself or, you know, hey, let's stop now so that it can be a really good party for everybody. Um, the one thing that does get very confusing is they're all called trust and safety. And so, you know, sometimes when something happens and somebody's like, Oh, trust and safety, what's going on abroad. <laughs> and we're like, no, 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 this is a very good customer. Please be nice to them. You know, they've just maybe done something that we need to, to help with.
0: What's the deal with trust kind of entering into the kind of lexicon of the risk management space? Why are more and more departments adding trust into the department? Uh, well, is, know, is there a practical difference?
1: It's, it's funny because um, when I worked at PayPal a million years ago, at this point, um, I remember I had a boss that came to me and he was like, people don't like hearing from the fraud department. They just are not interested in, in, you know, they freak out. We can't get any information from them. You know, immediately they're calling their bank and saying, I don't know what's happening. And so that was the first time I ever heard someone use the words trust or safety and so it's just a kinder gentler way of you know approaching customers because honestly if you get a note from the fraud team the first thing you do is freak out and
0: nobody wants that <laughs> yeah it's not a, it's not good, good good connotations what are you considering then when you're talking about case by case if you're able to give some bullets to you know what's going on in those trust officers heads as they're evaluating you know what's what's okay and what's not not terms and conditions stuff
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, th- this is kind of the hard thing is like, it's so it, we consider the body of your work. And so if you are, let's say that uh, you're a content creator and you do nude modeling and maybe something uh, you have a hundred pieces on, on your, your site or, and one of those pieces is outside of our guidelines, you know, has taken a step too far then, you know, we're going we're not going to say like, oh, that one piece, let's take the whole account down. We need to get rid of this creator. We want to consider the, the lifetime of your account. But then again, mm-hmm. if you have a, you know, a piece of child endangerment, then there's there's no tolerance for that whatsoever. So there's there's different lines when it comes to mm-hmm. different kinds of content and the same thing with, um, you know, if there is uh, something that you're putting and your all hundred pieces of your artwork is, you know, um, let's say theaterism or, or something like that then that would be the entirety of your work. And so we take a different action on that. And it's the same thing with, um, you know, different speech. Like, are you a comedian? There's obviously, you know, a little bit different of a slant if you're a comedian versus that you're presenting yourself as, you know, I'm an investigative uh, journalist. So you have to consider exactly where that person is coming from and what they're presenting themselves as.
0: So, so part of the reason we set this um, kind of uh, podcast up was to kind of within the fraud management community is to give back some of the thinkings that, you know, other kind of best practices of risk managers are thinking about content aside for a second, we wanted to focus on some of the pragmatic items of uh, training and getting, you know, young fraud managers into this space. That sounds like a very experience based approach. If you're a new team member joining into the Patreon team, how the heck do you get that kind of judgment is what I'm trying to get to. You, You know, that'd be interesting to hear.
1: Oh, for sure. So one of the things that um, I know recently people have said, I want to go into what you're into. What do I study? What degree should I get? And I'm always like, I don't even know what to say to people because I've had many a young intern come into teams that I've had. And the thing that is common with all of the ones that are successful is having a natural curiosity, because I've had people that have very impressive degrees and they're like i don't know i don't care seems like it's fraud and you're like no 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 no. like you need to be very curious to know and like pull that thread and figure out exactly what an account is doing so whether it be content moderation and wanting to learn about what that creator is doing or it's fraud and you know you can't just look at something on the surface and say well it, it queued up so it must be fraud because you have to be you know there's a reason that we still need people to do fraud work because It's not up to machines like machines can only take you so far. There's that bit of gray in the middle where you need a human who's very curious. And so if I have people, young people that come in and they're curious, I would take that over someone who's very, very
0: experienced any day. It's a good point, right? Because us in the fraud industry for the last two, three years, I think have been sold uh, the positioning of AI, artificial intelligence and kind of computers really to, to help do our job for us. But it sounds like you're actually being quite specific on no, actually, there's a limit to what we can do, particularly in your world, obviously.
1: Absolutely. Because the thing that I, you know, going back to, um, that I want my fraud people to only talk to fraudsters, um, I love the, where the machines have taken us. And I love where you know, AI and machine learning has gone, because they can take out those things that are very, very bad. You never have to look at a very, very bad account. And you never have to look at a very, very good account if things are done well. But um, a lot of times, there's false positives. And if you're teaching the machine in a certain way, you, you have to deal with the fallout from that. And so um, there's that gray space in the middle and that's where I like my teams to operate because they're they're basically teaching the machine you know this is fraud this is a new vector this is a new thing um i have a hard time i guess just turning it completely over to the machines because then there tends to be a high customer insult rate or Mm. you know things or their fraud just gets through and so it it depends on what your risk tolerance is because i know not everyone has the luxury of having a team but if you have a team it's it's a great use of their time to just pick through all those things in the middle and really discover what's good and bad
0: how does aside from content how does the kind of fraud risk manifest itself? So the ones that you know are obviously bad transactions, etc. Can you talk a bit more about that? Because that's for the audience that's thinking about Patreon, they're trying to probably ask the same question I am. Where is the loss? And especially if it's not that traditional product.
1: No, I get that a lot because people are like, what is your average transaction value? Because right. we're a recurring monthly uh business. And so basically, you know, there's there's two different vectors, obviously card testing is very interesting for any merchant that has a low atv and so that's clearly one thing that you know sometimes it's easy to catch but it depends on you know if somebody's using you know a bot or a script or you know if it's it's more um well put together but then there's also obviously bust out fraud because um you can have a situation where potentially somebody creates a fake account and they have a whole bunch of other people um that are sending them payments and they can take a large amount of money because if it's you know essentially like a, a fake creator that or an account takeover where you've taken money from a valid creator um this is why it's super important obviously to protect your passwords and things like that because you never want that to be the situation for one of our creators
0: you had to happen then uh, where content creators are turning back to you guys and saying yeah this wasn't me
1: <laughs> i mean thankfully thankfully fingers crossed, touch wood, all those things that, you know, it doesn't uh, tend to happen every day. But I think maybe the more common one that tends to happen and this has happened at every company I've ever worked at is um, the social engineering bit that you just mentioned, where someone will reach out to a creator or on PayPal, a seller, and they'll say, look, man, I'm going to buy that, uh, you know, tube of lipstick from you, but I'm going to send you $10,000 for it. You send me back five. And that's really hard, especially in tough economic times, like right now, where you're like, I don't know where my next paycheck is coming from. And so as people um, suffer more, then those sort of scams become more and more attractive. And so then obviously, like when I worked at PayPal, it used to happen quite often. They say, Western Union, we back that money. And then we would reverse that $10,000 and the person would have lost all of the money. And so those are really sad situations, but that's a lot of the times what you know fraud teams are dealing with
0: whenever there's kind of economic stress, like these attacks go up. And this, do you find that in general, like the susceptibility of people goes up because they're probably quite desperate, right? Emotionally, I imagine.
1: Well, it's that, it's that, but then it's also, um, I think that a lot of people also feel like, and I completely understand where they're like, if I can just get another month out of this, because when I used to work at a bank, um, Mm -hmm. it was also during an economic downturn. Um, and we would find that people would just run their own credit card. And they put you know ten thousand dollars on their own credit card because they were like i just need to make it through another month and so they would basically be infusing false capital into their business or they'd say i'm going to take you know uh prepayments for all of these tables and then i'm definitely going to get all these tables out and then a certain point they're like I'm declaring bankruptcy. But then the hard part is like you're not going to get your table and the bank's going to lose all the money.
0: Are there other characteristics that you're picking up on that you think, oh, well, this will make a great hire for my team.
1: So I love I love when we can ask someone like one of the questions that um, we like to ask people is uh, it's like there's a five thousand dollar payment. What's fraudulent about it or what's suspicious about it? And so, um, you know, if somebody says, oh, that's a big payment. They're out like just we're not even talking about it because if somebody goes, what was it for and have they done this more than once and who were they sending it to what was their ip address you know like if they start to ask like really uh, intelligent questions about it or just start sort of think about other ways around it and the other thing i like to look for is you ask someone how would you defraud whatever company i work for so like patreon or paypal or you know wherever it might be And if that person's like, I remember one time a person answered the question where they were like, well, I think I'd go through your desk and take your wallet. And I was like, you're out. That's done. (laughs) That's not a good answer. But if somebody really thinks about it and says, you know, like, I remember somebody uh, one time at an interview um, that I had, and they were like, what I would do is I'd set up a camper van and, you know, I'd travel across the country and I'd, I'd start taking payments and I would build it up and I'd get bigger and bigger payments so that your risk systems wouldn't detect it because it would be such a small increase. And I was like, that person's getting hired because you know, they're, they're very thoughtful about like ways to, to attack and they're constantly, you know, intrigued and interested in, you know, thinking about how bad guys can get in.
0: You mentioned earlier about ATV, because this is an interesting concept, right? How do you think in general then, if you're that type of business, which is um, a lower ATV versus say a higher ATV, what, what kind of things have you learned from, you know, that past how you should at least in principle think about risk and fraud and, and, and these concepts?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is a, a, an interesting thing. Like when you do talk to people that have high ATV versus low ATV. And Mm. because obviously like we have, um, when you have high ATV, sometimes you don't have as much volume and so you can spend more time on items. So for me, false positives, huge deal. But for Mm. like, I have friends that have worked where, you know, maybe a $10,000 payment is your average payment, but, the time for each teammate to review, you can spend a lot more time. They can spend an hour, they can call the customer, they can verify things. But for me, you know, if I'm doing a $3 payment, what are the chances I'm gonna call somebody? <laughs> what What is a teammate's time worth? And so for me, like making sure that we get the best results through is much more important than, you know, some friends that I've had who've worked in you know, like online travel for very exclusive uh, customers, those customers do want to receive a phone call. But like, it would seem like fraud if my person called for a $3 transaction.
0: Yeah, you guys are in a fortunate situation where you've got that human capital to look at the kind of situation. You know, for many, many of your audience, they don't have a manual review team or in this time they're cutting down on resources, you know.
1: Absolutely, to me, it's about like, what is the, the most important thing to you in your business? And so, like I said, for me, it's it's the false positives. And um, if you can at all get a person, it helps immensely. Even if they're looking through spreadsheets, I feel like having one person is more important than even having a tool, um, mm-hmm. is they can, do so much more um, but if you do have to you know do a tool make sure that it's it's one that you trust and that you're at least keeping a little bit of an eye on because um if you outsource that trust completely it can it can burn you in the end again like knowing what is super important to you so if false positives are the most important thing to you and eliminating those then just make sure that you're maximizing for that. But if it's a customer experience that you're maximizing for, make sure that you've got a tool that can support that completely. So some tools are very rules heavy, and some tools are very machine learning heavy. And so it depends on what what you're looking for out of that tool.
0: And so the false positive side, uh, to focus on that, whenever I speak to kind of, uh, I guess, merchants, uh, people in this space, feels like there's a lot of variance actually the most shocking thing to me is people's common understanding of this concept <laughs> i mean can you yeah talk a little bit more about that from from at least your world yeah like how do you measure it like what are you considering really for false positives
1: absolutely so for us it's, it's about like a customer insult rate that's mm-hmm. our false positive rate because if we have treated you like you're fraud and you're not fraud that to me is super embarrassing like i'm not interested in that because um you know obviously like it's we're not a, a household name. It's not like, you know, we're, we're Walmart or something because, you know, you can be insulted by Walmart and what are you going to do? You're still going to shop there. But versus like Patreon, you have, you know, you could be like, I'm not going to shop there again. And so for us, it is very important to not have a high customer insult rate. Um, but I know for other people, um, I've known people that have worked and, uh, they'll, they do want a false positive rate. Like they do want to mark too many people as mm-hmm. frauds so that they can have that white glove experience. And so that they can, you know, uh, do extra due diligence, you know, maybe put people through extra tools and, you know, have additional information on customers and do more verification. Mm-hmm. But as I say, for us, like we don't have that luxury, um, because it just, it's not even cost-effective at that point, because if you're paying, a certain amount of money for every tool that you put a person through for, you know, a $1 or $3 transaction, that's never gonna make sense. You'll lose money.
0: Uh, I think previously you were, um, you know, a very large uh, online gaming uh, gaming uh, customer. So do you think that that completely shifts your approach even, like from a, from a how you implement fraud management and risk and, you know, how, how you take things?
1: Oh, definitely. And, and the other thing is, is when you're working at uh, a gaming company, there are certain things that you have to do so you look at like patreon unregulated but gaming very regulated and so you know identity and verification that's a nice thing to have at patreon knowing who your customer is but it's not mandatory per se but in gaming like you better know who your customers are because you know you and you have to be you have a duty of care to those customers as well because you know if a customer spends too much on patreon You know, it's not like you could say like, wow, that person really has a problem. But in gaming, that person really could have a problem and that could come back to bite you as a company. And so there's a lot of extra factors that you have to look at when it comes to risk, Mm -hmm. because it's not only like, are they trying to take advantage of us? Like, are they somehow being taken advantage of or do they have extra problems that you have to consider?
0: Um, I'm curious. I know we talked about probably one of the more surprising things you saw. Uh, I think that'll be a good one to share with the audience uh, and and maybe there's something to learn from it. (laughs)
1: Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think probably that one of the craziest things I've seen was, um, so I've been around for a very long time. Uh, it's It's embarrassingly been about 20 years at this point. And I remember, um, one of the first times that we had a fraudster actually call and do social engineering uh, it, with one of our customer service people. And it was just something that we had never thought of. It's like, we had battened down the hatches, we'd locked the doors, we bolted up the windows and we were like, nobody's getting through. And what we failed to think was that we left the front door open, You know, that just somebody could just open the door. And we had a fraudster call and speak to um, you know, a customer service representative and manipulate that person into giving that fraudster enough information that they could get back into the system. And I was like, this is real, like, this is where things, you know, changed for me, because I was like, it's, it's not even about, you can do the most perfect rule set, you can have the most perfect system, but you've got to make sure that you're educating everybody who is ever, you know, potentially, like, like everybody's on the fraud team is what I'm trying to say, because um, that was something for me where I was like, no, the fraud team, we can keep everything secret and, you know, do all these things in the shadows, be, be the snipers and all that. But it is a misnomer because you've got to make sure that all of your salespeople are looking for risk when they're bringing things in you've got to make sure your customer service people know and understand all the risks that they're dealing with and that they know the right people to call when that happens
0: do do you think that we're essentially always going to be reactive (laughs) to to kind of human ingenuity if you like stroke fraudsters um or do you think we can get ahead of the curve somehow what's your personal take on it
1: you know this is such a hard one because um I, the more that you listen to, like, I know that there are some uh, former fraudsters that now, um, you know, do engagements and talk and, and every time I listen to them, and they talk about how networked fraudsters are, and how they're all working together, and I feel like the more that we as fraud professionals don't work together, we're constantly behind the eight ball, because I, I feel like we're like, yeah, yeah, we've, you know, done all of our things here but unless you're talking to people that are, you know, in your same business and you're, you're connecting and, you know, you're, you're sharing information. Um, it becomes very difficult to be ahead of it. And then going back to that creativity, you know, to take this full circle, I guess, um, fraudsters are just as creative, like their full-time job is, you know, (laughs) taking money. And the thing is, you've got to be right every time. They only have to be right one time. And that's very difficult to get ahead of.
0: If you are wrong that one time, man like for a lot of companies that's really tough like financially reputationally do do you have any words of wisdom you know for junior kind of you know managers entering in and and how they handle that dynamic because it it feels really out of kilter
1: it's the hardest on that teammate because every time like inevitably everyone has their like i can remember my first time where i was like yes 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 and (laughs) i was wrong you know and i i lost money and it was so embarrassing to me and it happens to everybody like you know, we all get a mulligan basically. And that's always the thing that I, I say to those teammates is, you know, just learn from it because, you know, it is something that will stick with you forever. But if you can learn from it and never make that mistake again, you're gonna be amazing at this.
0: I like that it's a positive uh, kind, of, uh, uh, kind of takeaway from that. So the title of the podcast is Cat and Mouse. And I'm always uh, very curious to get your take on in this world of, you know, professional fraud fighter versus uh, the, the actual bad actor, the fraudster, who do you consider uh, you guys to be, the cat or the mouse in this, and why? Jimmy,
1: I really wish I could say that we were the cat. But as uh, as evidenced by my earlier answer, I, I feel like, yeah, maybe we're the mouse in this situation. <laughs> I'm hoping to change to be the cat. But, yeah, sadly, sadly, I think right now we're all the mouse.
0: That's very humble, humble words, Jacqueline, especially with some of your deep experience. Well, thank you again so much for being on the podcast, then. Um, yeah, really enjoyed your wisdom there, and uh, yeah, for anyone, um, yeah, kind of uh, needing to Google that article, Google uh, Google uh, Jacqueline Hart's uh, name, and uh, you'll see it uh, in, uh, fairly high up there. It's pretty interesting. But thank you again for your time. Really good. Thanks so much, Jimmy. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's show. At Sayon, our whole startup is one hundred percent focused on helping you, the hardworking fraud manager, fight fraud with tools that are intuitive and fully complement your existing risk tech stack. Check out our website where you can get started on a free trial and be up and running in 30 seconds or less.